the briefest of Christmas Eve scripture readings comes to us from Titus chapter 2 verse 11 for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all the word of God for the people of God thanks be to God I love Christmas Eve so 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 much no matter how old or young we are, no matter how jaded or naive we are, Christmas Eve never really fails to work some magic. I mean, maybe it's the, the songs or the costumes, the kids, the, the thought of what might await us when we awake. There's something different about Christmas. And I think that difference makes all the difference in the world. In my very first church, we had a grumpy old man, a very, very grumpy old man, uh, he was married, and his wife would come to church every single Sunday. His attendance was, let's say, a little more sporadic. But every time he came to church, I could see him from the pulpit, and his arms were always like this across his chest. He had a furrowed brow on his forehead, and this is how he looked every time he was in worship. And without fail, every Sunday when he would shake my hand, he would say some version of, I don't believe any of that. I don't believe any of that. And I would say, because I'm a good pastor, well, it's okay. It doesn't matter if you believe God still loves you anyway. And then a quarter of the year later, he'd come back with his arms across his chest. I don't believe any of that. It went on like this for years. My last Christmas Eve, though, something changed. Like we will later in the service. We ended the, the service with Silent Night. We had brought all the lights down in the sanctuary. I got my candle. I lit it from the solitary Christ candle. And I went out in the congregation. I started lighting candles in the room. Started to have this beautiful glow about it. And then when we hit the third verse. Silent night, holy night. Son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face. With the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. When we were singing the third verse, I held my candle up to his face, which had been shrouded in darkness. And when the light began to reflect off his face, I saw that he had been crying. I mean, tears were just streaming down his face. Something happened to him that night. And that something has a name. It's Jesus. So would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you know the story? Do you know the story, the Christmas story? Chances are you've heard it before. Maybe you've heard it in church. Maybe you've read about it in a book. Uh, maybe you've seen a movie about the Christmas story, the story of Christmas. We all know it. Mary rides into Bethlehem on the back of a donkey. She's too tired here near the end of her third trimester. The innkeeper rudely denies them entry. A special star arrives over the stable at the very moment Jesus is born. He is surrounded by a flock of animals that are there to keep him warm. Later, three magi show up with special gifts for this baby Jesus. Do you know the story? I mean, that's how it goes, except for the fact... The Bible doesn't actually say anything about a donkey, or an innkeeper, or when the star shows up, or anything about a stable. It doesn't say anything about any animals being present, and it doesn't even say how many magi come with their gifts. Those are all assumptions that we bring to the story. 
Because we've come to the story again and again. We've seen it in so many different versions. We bring assumptions. Christmas has lots of assumptions. Not just about who was present or what it was like, but how we ought to behave ourselves in order to get presents under the tree tomorrow. And as I've said many times before, Santa may be checking a list once or twice to find out who is naughty or nice, but that's not actually how God works. Because if God were in the list-making business, checking for the naughty and the nice to determine who among us was worthy to receive the gift of Jesus, then none of us would be here on Christmas Eve. We wouldn't be here because God never would have shown up in Jesus. In fact, God comes not because we've been good little girls and boys or because we somehow earned this gift. God appears because we need it. One of the other assumptions that we tend to bring to Christmas is that it's all about the past. I mean, we read the story from long ago. Luke begins the tale with the words, In those days, once upon a time. I mean, we remember our own Christmases long gone. Even my favorite theologian, Karl Barth, says Christmas is where we come from. It's all about the past. Now, to some extent, that's, of course, true. Christmas is an event that happened at a point in time. But we so often talk about it being back there, we do so at the expense of right now. In other words, the Grinch, what the Grinch might realize at the end of his story, he's actually wrong. Christmas is about the presence, or at least the present of this present moment. Christmas is about the miracle in our midst. It's not just where we come from, it's who we are right now. Which is why we need child-led pageants. Because these wonderful people will help bring godly things down to earth for us. They will open our eyes to this story that we are still telling because we are part of it. Christmas is about the present. I mean, Titus, he says, The gift of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. That's Christmas in one sentence. Now grace, grace is perhaps the most churchy word of all churchy words. The grace of God has appeared. What on earth does that mean? I've always liked Beekner's definition of grace. He says grace is something you can never get but only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. Beekner says most tears are grace. The smell of snow is grace. Somebody loving you is grace. Loving someone is grace. And a crucial eccentricity to our faith is that we are saved by grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. The grace of God means something like, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party would not be complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen, but you need not be afraid because I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you that I did all of this. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you reach out and receive it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. Which means that grace, for as much as we talk about it, for as much as we sing about it in the church, grace isn't an idea. Grace is a person. 
God in Christ, born to us, has brought us our salvation. God is our helper, liberator, redeemer. God rescues and saves us. We live because God is with us. God in Christ, born to us, has ch changed the cosmos for us free of charge. The only thing we're asked to do is open up our hands to receive the gift. God in Christ, born to us, has brought salvation to all without reservation, without exception, simply because that's who God is. So no matter where you find yourself tonight, whether you are faithful or faithless, come. Come to the sleepy little town of Bethlehem, the town of bread. Come with the hopes and fears of all the years and meet Christ tonight. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. And so we offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.